Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. Happy New Year. I hope you guys had a good New Year. It's been an exciting time in South Florida so far. You know, we had a tornado last night. That was exciting. There were aliens in Miami on Monday, I think it was. I don't know if you saw. I don't know if you saw that. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go home and Google it. But uh, today we're kicking off our brand new series that we're calling Let's Do This. And I am extremely excited about this series for a number of reasons. First of all, we're going to be talking about a guy who really is one of my favorite characters in all of Scripture. His name is Nehemiah. Now, we have not gone in-depth into Nehemiah in almost six years. I looked at our archive, so it's absolutely time especially with all the new people we have, all the new Christians. There's just so much that we can learn from this guy. But I'm also excited because what we're going to be doing is we're going to position Nehemiah's story to help us write uh, a new story of our own. See, the new year, which we're in now, is always an exciting time because we get a fresh start, right? We, we all make these resolutions, and if we're honest, very few of us follow through on them because we come out of the gate strong, don't we? we uh, you know, we are hoping to do things differently, to make changes in our families, in our lives, in, in the world, and yet we don't necessarily have the tools to accomplish all those goals. Nehemiah is going to help us with that. Nehemiah, as you're going to see, set out to change his world, and he did, and, and he did it in 52 days. And I am positive that over the next few weeks, God is going to use you. He's going to empower you to do things and to make changes and even to become leaders in ways that you could never imagine. So with that, let's jump into the story and just see what we see. We're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and he tells us this. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Let's pause, because Americans, we have no clue what he's talking about here. So Nehemiah, obviously, is using a different calendar than we do. Kislev um, is really what we would call November, December. And seeing as though it's the 20th year in King Artaxerxes' reign, we know that matches up to what would be 444 B.C. Okay? So it's like November, December, 444 years before Jesus Christ was born. Lastly, he tells us that he is in Susa, which is modern-day Iran. Story continues. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. That would basically be what we was known as Israel. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So what is he talking about here? Let me connect the Bible for you real quick. 150 years earlier, the Jewish people had effectively disobeyed God. And because of that, he allowed an outside force, the Babylonians, to come into Jerusalem and conquer it, to destroy Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, to basically kick them out of Israel. They were exiled, and many of those Jews were taken into captivity down back into Babylon, what would be like Iraq. Now, in that group was a famous guy named Daniel. You might know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, fast forward 150 years. Today's story, there's a new king in town, King Artaxerxes, and he's allowing the Jews, whoever's left, to go return back to their homeland. So Nehemiah is now getting a status report on this. His brothers said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. Nehemiah, it's not a good scene, okay? It's not, it's not good what's going down. He says the wall of Jerusalem 
um, has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now take a look at Nehemiah's reaction. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. He, he learns that his homeland is in shambles. They have no protection, walls down, okay? There's no plan, uh, there's no economic system in place, they have no leadership going on there, they have no direction, they have no confidence, they are in trouble, and they are disgraced. The news breaks Nehemiah's heart. In this moment, what we're gonna learn is that God puts a divine burden on Nehemiah's heart. He knows that these people need help, and for some strange reason, divine reason, he believes he's the man for the job. But take a look at this key detail that he gives us. He says, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Such a tiny little detail at the bottom of the page, but it has huge ramifications for us. See, God has placed this enormous burden on Nehemiah's heart to, to rebuild the wall, to save his people. Nehemiah sees the, the magnitude of the task before him, and then he ends up by saying, I'm just a cupbearer. His job was to taste wine. Now, he's not a sommelier. That's not what his job is. His job was to taste the wine of the king to see if it was poisoned. In other words, his job was to die. That was it. Right? Now, to get this job, Nehemiah would have had to have been a very trustworthy individual, but make no mistake, in the eyes of the king, Nehemiah was expendable. Okay? Why is that important? It's important because we need to realize that Nehemiah was not some powerful man. He was not some highly connected politician, right? He's just an ordinary guy with a burden to change the world, and God was going to use him to do just that. What I'm going to do today is I want to show you three principles, let's call it, of how God uses ordinary people like you and like me to change this world. So the first thing that we see is that God uses people who are willing to weep. Now look again at what the text says. It says this, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. He did the exact same thing that Jesus did when Jesus approached Jerusalem. Okay, he saw the city, was filled with his people. They had basically turned their back on God. They had turned the temple into a den of thieves. They were like sheep without a shepherd, and it broke Jesus' heart. He wept. Nehemiah was the same way. He was just overcome with this spiritual brokenness. I mean, he was sad. Sure, he was sad. It was more than that. Okay, there was this godly burden and brokenness behind these tears. Now, here's the important part. When Nehemiah heard the news, he didn't brush off the burden. That's the easy thing to do. It's honestly what most of us do, too, right? He didn't just send thoughts and prayers. He allowed it to break his heart and to penetrate his soul. So let me ask you this. This is kind of the question for this series. What breaks your heart? Nehemiah saw the plight of his people, and he thought, this is not okay. I mean, somebody's got to do something, and honestly, it might as well be me. So what breaks your heart? Is there something happening in the world right now? Or in your world, right? In your community, on your street, maybe it's in your kid's school, maybe it's in your family that just breaks your heart. For example, maybe it's homelessness. This is now an epidemic in our country. Just in Fort Lauderdale alone, homelessness has exploded in the last two years. And the truth is, we all feel bad, right? 
But come on, most of us just complain. We, we pull up to an intersection, we roll up our windows, we lock our doors, we look straight ahead, okay, don't make eye contact, and we think somebody else needs to fix this problem. One of our volunteers, great friend of mine, Paul Up, maybe you've seen him on the way in. Paul felt a divine burden about homelessness. Giving a dollar wasn't enough, he thought. In fact, it's not really helping at all. So we began researching the problem, calling San Francisco and other, other cities. What are you guys doing to help these folks get some help? And he began to get involved in the city of Fort Lauderdale. And he started to bring homeless individuals to what's called community court. I don't even know if you know what this is. Where they can help them get their papers and get their jobs and get resumes and get them back on their feet. And it's beginning to work. Beginning. If you feel a similar burden, maybe talk to Paul on the way out. Maybe for you, God puts a burden on your heart about adoption. Years ago, years ago, God broke the heart of our volunteer coordinator, Adam Duckworth, and his wife, Caitlin, about this issue. They saw women who were dealing with what I'm going to call trauma-related pregnancies and all that goes with it, and it broke their heart, and they felt God say to them, you could help you can be a part of this solution. And so they answered that call. And regardless of their ability to have biological children, they chose to grow their family via adoption. They've adopted two kids. They didn't stop there, right? Because there's more work to be done. They, along with some like-minded people, created a foundation called Funding Love, which gives all expensive paid vacations to Disney, both to adopted families and, and, and birth moms, because even though adoption is hard, and it's filled with loss, it is rooted in love. And they wanted those folks who are involved in adoption to know that they are seen and they are supported and they are loved. One of the areas that God continues to break my heart, and it's not impressive like homelessness or, or adoption, and I talked about this on Christmas, is my burden over social media. I've now talked about this three times in one month and maybe 2024 will be the year. But it pains me. It literally breaks my heart to watch people not be themselves on social media. I mean, forget about the bragging and all of that. It's a different sermon for a different day. I don't care about that. What I mean is it breaks my heart to see people put up a facade. I've had conversations with people where, where they say one thing to me, perhaps even in pastoral confidence, and then they post the exact opposite. And I know what they're posting is not the truth. And you've seen this probably, you know, you've seen things like this. Maybe they want it to be the truth, but it's not the truth. It's covering up the truth. And I just have to imagine that every time that untruth gets a like, it must feel like a knife in their heart, like salt in the wound. And I just so desperately want to help people be released from the bonds of social media and to live their lives and to get healing if that's what's needed. So what breaks your heart? Maybe it's something big, maybe it's something small, but what is happening where you say, somebody's got to do something? My question is, why can't it be you? Don't ignore that burden. Because I'm telling you, there's going to come a time in your life when you're going to be like, why doesn't anybody else care about this? Why am I the only one who seems to, to care? I'll tell you why. Because God chose you. See, you didn't choose the burden. You think you did. Burden chose you. It is deep down within your soul. And if you just open up your heart and you embrace that burden, God can use you to change the world. So God can use someone who is willing to weep. Next, God can use those who are willing to pray. 
Nehemiah gets the news. His heart breaks. He weeps for his people. The very next thing that he does is he prays. He says, in fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Because if something is big enough to cry about, I'm just telling you, it's big enough to pray about. But sometimes as Christians, and many of us here are Christians, I think we forget the power of prayer. In fact, we talk about prayer like it's a last resort. We say things like, well, all we can do now is pray. You said that before? I have. What do you think God says when he hears that? Now, I understand this is really more of just like a saying. We don't really mean what we say when we say it, but we say it in words of power. And if you say something long enough, it begins to change the way that you think. Prayer is never a last resort. It's always the first thing we do. It's always the first line of defense. See, prayer reflects what we truly believe about God. And if our only prayers are to bless our food, keep us safe, you know, allow us to have a good day, God, I'm just not sure we believe in an all-powerful God. But when you ask God to stretch you, to use you, when you pray for the impossible, I'm just telling you, God moves. He, he can do miracles. He can spark revival. He can use you to meet the needs of others. So if God has put a burden on your heart, and you look at this burden, and you look at the task before you, and you're tempted to think, well, I'm just one person. What can I do? Like, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a dad. I'm just a student. I'm just a cupbearer. What difference can I make? You want to know you make a difference? You pray. Because you might be just one person, but with God, nothing is impossible. That's what Scripture says. When you have God in your corner, you got everything you need. And I'm just telling you, some of the most important time that you will ever spend in your life and on this earth is in prayer. Because prayer makes you wait on God. Prayer clears our vision and allows us to see things from God's perspective. Prayer quiets our hearts, calms our mind. And it's in prayer where our faith is activated. And the activation of your faith is key. Because there's going to come a time where you need to stop praying and start acting. Now, that's something you probably never thought you'd hear from a church stage. But it's true. You see, what happens is that some Christians, very well-meaning Christians, get stuck in what I'm going to call a prayer holding pattern. You ever been in an airplane when you're stuck in a holding pattern and you just circle the airport and circle and circle and circle and circle and you never land? That's a lot of us in our prayer life. God puts a burden on our heart to do something. And we go to him in prayer as we should. It's always the first thing you do. But the problem is, to use a sports analogy, and you know how much I love sports, you never leave the huddle to step up to the line of scrimmage. You, you just keep praying and praying and praying and praying. You say things like, I'm praying about it, all right? Meanwhile, God's already given you the answer. At some point, you have to have the faith to say, I've prayed, I've sought God, I've brought him into this, and I am ready to act in faith. Now, maybe your problem is you're waiting for God to give you like a detailed roadmap to carry out this plan that he's put on your heart. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that. Read, read the Bible. He's only going to give you just enough light. 
to see that first step and then the next step. It is up to you to take that step of faith. See, God uses those who are willing to weep. He uses those who are willing to pray. And he uses those who are willing to act, to take that step of faith. For four months, Nehemiah prayed that God would move in his situation, that God would open up a door to allow him to, to go up to Israel to fix this problem. And now was the time. One day he's serving some wine to the king. He tells us this. I'd never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Nehemiah says, then I was terrified. Why was he terrified? I'm going to argue two reasons. Number one, court etiquette, meaning when you're in the king's court, court etiquette required that subjects appeared cheerful before the king. Because a happy subject suggested the king was good and wise, whereas an unhappy subject suggested otherwise. In fact, we know in scripture that to be unhappy in front of a king could bring down his wrath on you. So there's that. The other reason I think he's scared is he knows it's go time. He knows that he's about to act on what he has been praying for. He says, then I was terrified, but I replied. I acted. Long live the king, he begins. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now remember what you're seeing here. Okay? These are not equals. This is just a cupbearer opening up to a mighty king. Now watch the king's response. Well, how can I help you? That's interesting. That, to me, is a God moment. A normal response would be, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Now pour me some Chianti, okay? He doesn't say that. His response tells me that God is at work, that Nehemiah has done all the proper prayer work, and now God is moving. He's opened the door. What is it you want? How can I help you? Now it's Nehemiah's chance. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I reply. Don't miss this. He's acting on faith, yes, but he's doing it prayerfully. Even now he's praying, Lord, help me, right? One of these quick throw-up prayers. Here we go, Lord. Give me the strength, Lord. Give me the words to say, Lord. He replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. I love this, okay? Nehemiah is not going to send other people. He's not just going to write a check and send it to go solve the problem. He's not going to send them thoughts and prayers and positive vibes, whatever those are. God has put the burden on him. He's not okay with what's going on down there. And he says, send me. Send me. It reminds me of when the great prophet Isaiah finally responded to God's call on his life. And he said, here I am, Lord. Send me. And I'm just telling you, some of you, you're going to get a vision. You're going to get a call. There's going to be a burden that God places on your heart. And maybe you've already felt that burden. Maybe right now you know exactly what I'm talking about. But the voices in your head, shall we say, have been telling you, you're not the guy. You're not the woman. You don't, you don't know enough. Who do you think you are? You're just an ordinary person. But what Nehemiah teaches us 
is that God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary goals. Listen, if you're an extraordinary person, and I know some of you are, God can use you. I'm just telling you based on scripture, God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. He did it with the disciples. You'll see in this series, he's going to do it with Nehemiah, and he can do it with you too. So what is it? Maybe he's calling you to get out of debt. Maybe he's finally calling you to say, come on, it's time to get out of this addiction. Maybe he's going to challenge you to fix your marriage. Maybe he's calling you just to start fresh in 2024. Whatever it is, do not ignore the burden that God has placed on your heart. It is far too easy to ignore a burden. It is far too easy to just write that check, send up a little prayer, say, somebody else is going to take care of this. Nehemiah lived 1,000 miles away from the problem. That's like us and New Jersey. He has zero natural skills to fix this problem. It would have been so easy for him to say, "Mm, they can handle it. But he simply could not ignore the burden that God placed on his heart. And he said, somebody's got to do something. It might as well be me. So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So as I think about the application of today's message, I think we need to consider two groups of people. So I want to speak to those two groups because I think you're both here. First group are those of you here today who would say, I love what you said, right? inspiring. I'm inspired. I want to be used. I really want to make a difference in this world, but I'm just not feeling that burden right now. Like I can't point to anything that's moving me, let alone breaking my heart. Not only is that 100% possible, that is also 100% normal. We don't always have these divine burdens on our heart. I mean, think about Nehemiah. He got this burden in Kislev of 44 BC when his brother showed up. The day before, he didn't have this burden. So we don't always have a burden. But if you have a burden to be used by God, I'll just tell you this, he loves a willing servant. So I would challenge you to ask God to break your heart for what breaks his heart. The best way to be used by God is to get involved in what God is already doing in this world. So God where are you currently working? In, in, in my city, in my town, where my kids, where, where are you currently working? Ask God to give you eyes to see what's going on around you and allow your heart to be broken for it. Be willing to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm ready. I'm available. I have a desire to be served, to serve. Show me where I can help. And maybe he'll challenge you to get you know, involved in your kid's school. Maybe he'll challenge you to start just encouraging people around you. Maybe he'll blow your mind and present you with an incredible ministry opportunity. If you're looking to change the world, God can help you find a way. Now the other group. Those of you who do know, like you know, what that burden is that God has placed on your heart. You know. But maybe you haven't exactly accepted the challenge, shall we say. 
My question is, what's stopping you? Are you still battling with that human instinct to say, well, maybe somebody else will do it, right? Maybe, some, maybe somebody else. You know. Are you battling with self-doubt? The, you know, who do I think I am to do this? What fears are you dealing with? What obstacles are before you? What is getting in the way of you doing what God has called you to do? Whatever it is, ask God to remove those barriers, okay? Now is the time to pray. Lord, I have felt this on my heart for so long. Every time I think about it, it bothers me. It's not okay. But I'm just struggling. I'm struggling. And I need your strength. Would you remove any barriers that are preventing me from following you? Would you give me the strength to take that first step? Because I want to change my world but I need your help to do it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for a new year and a fresh start, God, and I pray that this would be the year that we do things differently. God, I know there's going to come a time in all of our lives where you place a divine burden for us to make a difference in our lives in the lives of other people, in our community, and in the world. And I pray, Lord, that this would be the year that we embrace that burden and we say yes, God, and you would give us the strength to do what you've called us to do. God, and if there are those of us in this room who don't know what you've called us to do, I pray that you would break our hearts for what's going on around us. Show us ways that we can just get plugged into this community, into what our children are doing, into what our neighbors are doing, and we can be your quote-unquote hands and feet here on this earth. God, I pray that this is the year that we do all the things we dreamt of doing. Lead us, Lord. Help us to do this. We ask this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name.